0: Hey, so let's start out with a little game. How would you finish this sentence right here? I'm worried that, or depending on your personality, you might say, well, I'm concerned about, or I'm afraid that, you know, whatever it is. What would you put in that blank? You probably have said this in some form this week, haven't you? So what's the thing that you would say, I'm worried that, I'm worried that, I'm worried that? Sometimes there's small things, you know, I'm worried that, you know, it's going to rain and mess up the plans, or I'm worried it's not going to rain and whatever. So we, we've got small things. If, um, It's so interesting because if you're a teacher, if you work in the educational system, uh, right now you're worried that the summer is almost over. It's like, where in the world did it go? Uh, And for those of you who are parents, you're on the exact opposite side. You're worried that you're going to kill your kids before you get them back in school. So that kind of goes both ways, doesn't it? We have a lot of things that we worry about, and a lot of times it just seems really, really small. But then there's some bigger things. I mean, some of you are worried about the economy. Some of you are worried about our country. Some of you are worried about... Uh, your future. You're worried about your plans coming true. Some of you are worried about your health. You're trying to figure all that out. Some of you are at a stage of life where you're worried about your education. You're worried about, am I going to get in that program? Am I going to get in that school? Am I going to have the grades to be able to? You know, am I going to get a scholarship? You got all that going on right now that's pressing on your mind. Some of you are worried about relationships you've got and, you know, where they're going or, you know, you feel like they're just not right and they're struggling. For some of you at your marriage, you're worried about your marriage. Uh, some of you who aren't married are worried about the fact you're not getting married. Some of you're worried because you don't have kids and you really want to have kids. Um, some of you are um, worried about your kids because they're out of the house already and you, you know, you are, you're just not sure that they've got it all figured out yet, so you're worried about them. Uh, some of you are like me, you have uh, kids in the house and you're worried that uh, you're not going to survive it. And you're just hoping you know, that you'll make it through that. All of us worry about a lot of different stuff. Some of you, this is kind of ironic, some of you are worried about your faith. That's, that's pretty ironic, isn't it? But you are. You're worried about, well, I don't know if I'm where I should be spiritually, and I, you know, I'm not sure how God feels about me, and I don't feel like I've done quite enough, and I'm not doing a good enough job here, and you got all those things that you're worried about. All, all of us tend to worry about different things. I don't know what the blank is for you. But here's what I think is interesting. Have you ever noticed, and I bet this is true for you too, have you ever noticed that kids, particularly young kids, they don't worry about anything. When you were a young kid, you probably didn't worry about anything. Nobody comes out of the womb a worrier. It just doesn't happen. Because worry is a learned behavior. It is. It's a learned behavior, it's, which means worry is not natural. You have to teach people how to worry. It's not natural. Which means if it's not natural, and kids don't naturally worry, they learn how to worry as they get older. You learned how to worry as you got older. If it's not natural, then maybe it's not helpful. Maybe it's not healthy either. Maybe that's why when you open up, particularly the New Testament, and you begin to read what these writers who had spent time with Jesus wrote, they all seem to come back to the idea of, hey, whatever you're putting in that blank, you shouldn't worry about it. You don't have to worry about it. To which we all go, well, yeah, you do have to worry. I mean, it just happens. But they seem to have the perspective of, no, it's, a, it's, it's like a kid. You've learned that behavior, which means maybe you can unlearn that behavior as well. So anyway, if you haven't been with us for the last three weeks, we've been talking of, through the series of I Want to Believe But about the challenges that we have sometimes when it comes to trying to figure out what it means to have a relationship with Jesus or to follow him and be a Christian, however you want to word that. And there's so many doubts and so many struggles and so many different tensions That tend to arise at different points. It causes us to go, "Okay, I want to believe, but let me tell you what happened here." And I want to believe, but God didn't seem to come through there. And I want to believe, but I tried and I went to church and I just didn't fit in. Or you know, didn't people were talking about things that I couldn't relate to. Like there are all these things that kind of play into this, but most of them revolve around this question. When you boil it down, is it possible for God to be personal? I mean, this is what really creates a lot of the doubts for us. We're just not sure. If it really is possible to have a relationship with God where he's more than a box that you just check off on Sunday morning, some category in your life, okay, well, God's kind of over here and I access him when I need him, but other than that, I'm just kind of going on about my world. Is it, he's more than just some distant deity or some idea or just, you know, he kind of helps me feel good at different points. Is it really possible for God to be personal? Well, that's a question that a lot of us struggle with. That's a question, that, especially when you're in certain seasons of your life where you're facing challenges or difficulties or struggles, or your circumstances don't seem to make any sense to you, your life gets turned upside down, things happen you didn't see coming. This is a question that pops up in some form for a lot of us. Well, I'm just wondering where God is. I'm not sure if he's involved. I'm not sure if he cares. Those are all different ways of saying, I'm not sure it's possible for God to be personal. So what I've suggested over the last couple of weeks is that it really is possible, but God will never be personal to you until you learn to communicate with him in a different way, until you learn to pray what we've been calling bold prayers. And, and bold prayers, of the framework for those are three simple statements. This is kind of a structure in terms of how we communicate with God in a different way that causes him to become personal or leads to us experiencing him in a personal way. Those three statements we've been talking about, and we gave this to you as a prayer to pray, Father, I trust in you, I surrender to you, and I depend on you. So everything has to start with trust. No relationship is ever going to be personal without trust. Which is why when Jesus was on this earth, he said, okay, you guys refer to God in a lot of different ways, but you don't refer to God the way God actually prefers. The way God prefers for you to refer to him is his father. That's how he wants you to view him. He invites you to call him heavenly father. Not as a judge, not as a boss, not as some all-powerful deity. He just invites you to call him heavenly father. Father, and the reason he invites you to do that is because he wants you to learn to trust him. He wants you to get to the point where you realize, oh, the way he relates to you and the way you get to relate to him is as a perfect heavenly Father. And once you and I get to the point where we understand that and we trust that, it's just like in any relationship between a child and a good father or a child and a good mother. When you get to that point where you have that kind of trust, and this next thing doesn't seem so out there, you can say, okay, well, I'll surrender to you, which is just a way of saying. Okay, I've got some plans for my own life, and I think I know what's best, but I'm going to trust you because I think you know more than me, and and what you're saying to do is a little different than what I want to do, but I'm going to trust that you know best, and I'm just going to follow you. I'm going to move my agenda to the side, and I'm going to do what you ask me to do. And in the case of our relationship with our Heavenly Father, what He invites us to do is to surrender our own little pursuit of our kingdom, our our pursuit of our little self-centered agenda, and instead... He invites us into what he calls an other-centered kingdom, a kingdom where we put the needs and interests and desires of others before ourselves. And when you reach the point where you trust him enough to do that, then the natural response is to say, okay, well, I'm going to depend on you. Because there are some things, there are some gaps, there are some things that I need that, you know, if I pursue them, I don't know how I'm going to get what I need. If I love them, I don't know how I'm going to end up, you know, getting the things that I feel like are necessary for me to experience life I want to experience. So i got to depend on you now. But you're my father. And so it's natural for a kid to depend on their father. So I'm just going to depend on you. That's what it looks like to pray bold prayers. And here's what I find interesting. If we ever got to the point where these three statements were true of us, where we could say them and believe them, where we could say them and act on them, then our worrying would disappear just think about it. It would disappear. It would disappear because when you get to the point where you trust, surrender, and depend, then you have nothing you have to worry about. See, when, when kids are born, they, they don't worry about anything. When, when a baby's born, I mean, it's just natural for them to trust their parent. When a baby's born, it's just natural for them to depend on them for whatever they need. There's no worry there. Worry only comes when there's a break in trust. Worry only comes as, you, as, a, as a child grows up and begins to experience some things that are out of line with the way God designed life to be experienced. And when there's a break in trust, then they begin to worry. Well, maybe it's that way because that is a glimpse of how God wants our relationship with Him to be. And if we trusted Him that way, and if we surrendered and depended on Him that way, we probably wouldn't have to worry about anything. Maybe that explains when you read the accounts of Jesus' life, anytime somebody talks about worry, Jesus would stand up, and his message on worry was this. Two words. Stop worrying. That's all he would say. Stop worrying, which is so unhelpful, isn't it? Can we just be honest about this? Like, are you kidding me? I just can't stop worrying. That's, you know, I wish I could. I just can't stop worrying. Jesus go, no, 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 you don't get it. Like, just stop worrying. It's like, no, you got to tell me how. You got to, no, just stop worrying. So Jesus talked about this all the time. He would tell his Disciples, this all the time. Just stop worrying. They'd come bring up something. No, 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 just stop worrying. And they couldn't really figure it out until he left this earth. And after the resurrection, they began to realize, oh, that's why he said that. Oh, that's what it means. And so, guess what they did? Then they began, as people chose to follow Jesus, they began to write letters and they began to share with him in person. And when the topic of worry would come up, they would say, just stop worrying. Just stop worrying. The Apostle Paul is one of the guys who spread this message. As a matter of fact, In a letter he wrote uh, to Christians living in the city of Philippi, he gets near the end of this letter. It's not a really long letter, but he gets near the end of this letter. And I don't know what prompted it exactly, but right near the end, he drops this extraordinary insight to them on how to deal with worry and anxiety. I mean, it's just remarkable what he has to say. But it's like, and you'll see this in a minute, it's like as he starts to write, he begins with basically saying this. Hey, some of you are worrying and anxious about stuff. You should just stop. And then he realizes, oh, they don't know how to do it. They don't know how to do it. And so for their benefit, and fortunately for all of our benefit, he goes on to explain how you stop worrying and what happens when you learn to let worry be replaced by something much, much, much more helpful. So here's what I want to do today. I want to dive into this for just a minute. And for some of you, if you grew up in church, this is going to be a passage that's familiar to you. But you may have never heard it explained or may have never seen the dots connect quite the way we're going to connect them today. Before we jump in, I want to say one other thing. Some of you, and I don't want to make light of this, so I want to bring this up. Some of you, your worry and your anxiety is, um, I mean, it is a battle. It is a challenge. It is a burden that you carry with you. And it's not just your choosing to worry. There are biological and, you know, neurological issues that... Create a a real battle in you to try to fight anxiety, to fight worry, to fight depression, to fight all those things. I just want to, you know, before we jump into this, I just want to say I'm not making light of that at all, and I'm not going to trying to insinuate today that there's a a silver bullet here, a magic bullet, and if you just do this one thing, Paul says that all of that's going to go away. But I will say to you, I think if you learn how to do what Paul says, it will help. It will help, and for a lot of us who worry and anxiety is a self-inflicted wound. We just choose to do it. This is a path to a better future for all of us. So, let me just jump right in. Near the end of this letter is Paul's writing to them. Here's what he says in Philippians 4. Do not be anxious about anything. To which I read that and go, are you kidding me? Like, you, you really mean anything. Yeah, I mean anything. Well, that, that's a pretty high bar. And not only is that a high bar, if we could be honest... That just sounds a little irresponsible, doesn't it? Aren't there some things that have happened in your life and aren't there some things happening around you that make you go, I think I should be a little anxious and worried about that and not to be anxious and worried would be incredibly irresponsible. Like I just, I can't ignore that. I think that should be something I am concerned about. Matt, you wanted to know what was in that blank? Well, here's the thing that ought to go in that blank and I don't think it's wrong to put it in that blank. And Paul's going, no, no, no. I, I know your argument and I, I get what you're saying. I don't think you should be worried about anything now. Before you go too far just dismissing Paul and saying, well, he doesn't know what he's talking about, let me give you just a little bit of the context of where he was when he wrote this statement. Paul was sitting in the city of Rome in a home under house arrest. Now, if you know much about Paul's history, you know he'd already experienced a lot in his life. He'd been beaten more times than he could count as he went into towns and shared the message of Jesus and it, you know, offended certain people. He had been shipwrecked and nearly lost his life. He had been stoned to the point of death. As a matter of fact, the people who stoned him thought he was dead. It's the only reason they stopped throwing rocks at him, and they turned around and left him, and then, lo and behold, he wasn't dead. Paul's been through a whole lot of stuff that would warrant us going, okay, you should worry about that, Paul. And now he's sitting in a home in Rome under house arrest, knowing he knew that his life was about over. When he wrote this, he knew there wasn't much time left for him until he was going to be executed. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. He was executed by the Roman authorities. So, you know, we've got our stories and our things, and well, let me tell you, but Paul would say, okay, I get all that, but, you know, if Paul told his stories, they would trump our stories. I mean, he he had death looming, so he had a lot he should have been anxious about. And with that as his context, Paul says, you don't need to be anxious about anything. Now, why would he say that? Because Paul understood that worry and anxiety, when it's... When it, It shows up in your life and in mine. It's really just markers of a deeper issue. Let me see if I can explain it this way. When you see worry and anxiety, that's not actually your root problem. To get to your root problem, it's just a symptom. To get to your root problem, you have to peel off layer after layer after layer. And eventually, Paul teaches that when you, and you'll see this in a second, that when you get down to the root of what creates worry and anxiety, worry and anxiety are marks of focus issues and faith issues. That's what's at the root of it. Worry and anxiety are always created by focus issues and faith issues. Now, when I talk about faith, I don't mean like what you believe. I just mean trust. So let me explain it this way. Whenever you worry or whenever you deal with anxiety, then you are focusing on the wrong things and you have put your trust or your faith in the wrong places. That's what always creates worry. So, What is worry? You know what it is. Worry is just when you focus on possible negative outcomes for an extended period of time. That's all it is. The longer you focus on something negative, the more you're going to worry. Worry is just an ability to, oh my goodness, I'm going to play all that out and think about that and think about that and think about that and all the bad things that could happen. So part of what feeds worry is the fact you put your focus on the negative instead of the positive. You put the focus on the bad and not the good. Saying well, yeah, you got to pay attention to that. I know. We'll get to that in a minute. You don't ignore that, but you focus on it, or I focus on it for too long. We're all guilty of this, right? Like we just focus on it too long. We obsess over it. The other thing that is at the heart of worry is that we we end up putting our trust or our faith in the wrong place. So I don't know if you've ever thought of it this way, but you know why you worry. You worry whenever something that is at the center or foundation of your life is threatened. That's what causes worry in you. Whenever something you hold dear is threatened in some way, then worry happens. That explains why there are a lot of things that can happen to you in life you don't worry about at all. And the reason you don't worry about those things is because you don't really care about them. They're not that valuable to you. That is why things can happen in the lives of other people and you don't worry about it at all. Afterwards, I could you know sit down and talk to you and I could tell you about all the things going on in my life and all the, you know, quote-unquote problems I have, and you would get done and say, ah, sorry to hear that, but you're holding me up. i got to get to lunch. And off you would go, and you wouldn't worry about my deal anymore, would you? Because it's not valuable to you. That's okay. That's fine. It's not the center of your life. But whenever something that you hold dear, whenever something at the center of your life is threatened in some way, that sparks worry in you. Now, here's why that's so important. Because the things you worry about reveal the things you value the most. The things you worry about are actually the things. You don't think of it this way. I don't either. But the things we worry about are actually the things that we find security in. So if you find yourself worrying about money all the time, then you look to money for security a lot more than you realize. If you worry about a relationship all the time, you look to that relationship for security a lot more than you realize. Whatever it is you worry about, That's what you tend to look for as the center, as the foundation, as the security in your life. So worry is simply, I focus on the wrong thing, I'm focusing too much on the negative, and I've put my faith or my trust in the wrong place. So Paul says, you got to understand, if you can learn to focus on the right thing and put your trust in the right place, then you don't have to be anxious about anything. If you focus on and put your faith in something that will not be shaking and cannot be threatened then that alleviates all the worry. That's why he says, don't be anxious about anything. To which we all go, well, what do I do? And he says, well, here's what you do. You should use tr- worry and anxiety because, you, we, you know, those things just come up from time to time. But he's saying whenever that happens, you should use your worry and anxiety as a trigger for a much healthier response. And here's the response that he gives us. He says, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation... Doesn't matter what it is. By prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. To which we all go, well, it's not that simple. And Paul says, yeah, it really is that simple. Here's what you do. Worry and anxiety should be a trigger for you to turn from whatever it is that's creating your worry to your heavenly Father. And you should come with prayer and petition. You know what prayer is? Prayer is having a conversation with God. That's all that means. You know what petition is? It's asking something from God. So this is so interesting. Paul says, it doesn't matter what's going on in your world. It doesn't matter how big or how small it may seem to you. In every single situation, anything that creates worry and anxiety in you, you should learn to make your first response, to turn to God and have a conversation with him about whatever it is that's creating your worry, and to ask from him whatever you need to alleviate your worry. That's what you ought to do. How do I go through life and I'm not anxious about anything? Well, I have somebody that I can trust so much that I take any of that anxiety and worry to, and I just drop it in their lap, and I know they're going to take care of it for me. So he says, you go and you make or present your request to God. Now, just real quickly, he's not talking about the kind of requests that we often make when we pray. He's not talking about the kind of prayers that, oh, God, just help me and bless me and be with me and give me and, you know, most of us pray really general prayers, and here's the thing about praying general prayers and making general requests. You never know when they're answered. Neither do I. You wouldn't know if God did what you needed Him to do or not because you you weren't specific enough. Like, you don't even know what you're looking for. You're just kind of a general SOS out there. Paul's saying, no, no, no. Whenever anxiety or worry start to creep into your life, you just take all of that to God, and you make some very specific requests to Him about what you need. But, That's not all. I want to circle back because there's one little phrase in here that makes all the difference in the world. He says, you do that with thanksgiving, with thanksgiving. In other words, he says, where and anxiety start to come, you take all of that straight to God. But all those requests you have, all those things you need, you need to sandwich those with gratitude. You need to sandwich those with thanksgiving. Now, don't miss this. You know why Paul said this? Because gratitude or thanksgiving, it changes what you focus on, and it changes what you trust. See, practicing gratitude or thanksgiving to God helps you to focus on the right thing, and it deepens your faith in the right person. If you were to take your request to God... But not just say, God, I need, help me, help me, I need, I need, help me, help me. But if you started with, wait a minute, God, there are a lot of things here that I'm worried about. But before we talk about those, I just want to focus for a minute on what I'm grateful for. I want to focus for a minute on the good things that are in my life that you've given me. And you talk about those for a minute, and then you say, now here's what I need. And then you end So okay, even though I need that, no matter what, I'm still going to be grateful for this, and I just want to say thank you for this. If you learn how to do that, It changes the entire nature of the way you communicate, and it changes the entire nature of your battle with worry and your battle with anxiety. Now, before we get into this any further, what I find so fascinating is 2,000 years later, just in the last couple years, there has been a lot of research done on the effects of gratitude on human beings. And guess what they're finding? They're finding that Paul knew what he was talking about. so interesting. Here's some of the recent research that's just come out on this lady by the name of Tanya Peterson wrote this uh, just a year ago. She said, mental health experts agree that feeling and expressing gratitude helps anxiety. Who knew? Well, Paul, Paul knew, apparently. Once you know what gratitude is and is not, and that's important to know, once you know what gratitude is and is not, you can use thankfulness to improve your mental health. Well, how does that work? Let's keep reading. Being appreciative of things in your life doesn't mean you have to be grateful for having anxiety. So this is not, you know, stick your head in the sand and just act like everything's good. No, I'm grateful and grateful. No, I'm not worried about that. I'm just, just grateful for it all. No, no, no. It's not denying the issues that you may have. It also isn't a magic wand that will, I love this technical term, poof away anxiety. It's not gonna, It doesn't work like that, okay? You're not just, oh, I'm thankful, and then all of a sudden all your worry disappears immediately. But gratitude can rewire your brain over time to experience less anxiety. The effects of gratitude on health can be life-changing. Being grateful is a shift in how you view yourself and the world. Let me just pause right here real quick. Being grateful is a shift in how you view yourself and the world. Being grateful causes you to change your focus, and the more time you focus on what you're grateful for, It causes you to have deeper faith and trust in God because suddenly you remember how faithful he's been to you in the past. And then Tanya finishes with this. It changes your focus from what is wrong to what is right. Now, let me just ask you this. When's the last time you spent more time focused on what you're grateful for than you did what you're worrying about? If you're like me, it's probably been a while. But what would happen? Think about this. What would happen... If we learn to take what Paul taught us and we begin to practice it, what would happen if we ramped up the gratitude in our lives? One of the common practices now that's being promoted and encouraged quite a bit is for people to have gratitude journals. I don't know if you've heard this or seen this. Some of you may do this. But this is one of the things when people struggle with worry and anxiety, they're actually recommending they do to help combat it. To get a journal and every single day, write down three things you're grateful for. It really is that simple. Just write down three things you're grateful for to start your day before you go into your day. Why are they saying that? Well, they're saying that for the very same reason that Paul said, you don't have to be anxious about anything. You can just go to God and you can present all your requests. But when you do it, when you do it, don't forget to do it with gratitude. What does that look like? Well, here's what it looks like. If you're worried about your health... There's nothing wrong with going to God and saying, hey, I'm worried about this, and I'm afraid that, and I'm concerned that, and I don't know if I'll ever get back to where I am. But to pray with gratitude about your health means you also pause and go, hey, I just want to thank you, God, for the health I do have. And I want to thank you for creating a body that works in such a way that it's predictable, a body that can heal itself, a body that's so predictable that doctors and researchers and scientists can figure out medicines that help the body to heal more rapidly. And God, I want to thank you. Here are my health issues. I'm concerned about them, but I want to thank you because even if those never get better, even if I never improve from this point, I know you're with me. I know you're going to help me. I know you're going to give me the strength to go through it. That's what it looks like to take something that you're worried about and pray with gratitude. Same thing's true if you're worried about money, if you're worried about a relationship. When you take the things that you're worried about, you don't ignore them. You're very honest about them. But when you present those to God, with thanksgiving, it changes everything. Now, some of us, our struggle is this. We try to carry all that weight ourselves. So some of you, the things that you're worried about, you're trying to fix on your own. You've never even taken the step to present it to God. You haven't gotten to the point where you're even willing or you've even thought about, oh, I could, I could go and talk to God about this. And he invites you to talk to him. But when you come talk to him, when you come talk to him, don't just bring the problem. For your own health and your own benefit, bring it with gratitude. Bring it with thanksgiving. What would happen if we began to develop a habit of doing that? What would happen if we spent more time focused on what we're grateful for than what we're worried about? Well, here's what Paul says will happen. He says this, and the peace of God. It's so interesting because isn't this what we all want? Peace is what makes you happy. This is what we all want and yet for many of us this is what we have least. This is what we want most but we have least which is why we're worrying about the things we're worrying about because we're trying to chase peace. It's why we do a lot of things that we do for that matter because we're trying to chase peace. This isn't true for all of you but for many of us The reason we end up with the frantic schedules and the frantic lifestyles that we live is because we don't have any peace. And when you slow down, that sense of conflict, that sense of turmoil, that lack of peace, it bubbles right to the surface. And you don't like feeling that. And you don't want to deal with that. So you just keep scurrying around trying to keep yourself busy to distract yourself from the fact that you're lacking peace. This is why some of you choose to worry. It's kind of counterintuitive. But the whole reason you're always looking for things to worry about is because you just don't want to acknowledge the fact you don't have peace. So as long as there's something wrong that you can find that's wrong, it gives you a reason not to have peace instead of just getting to the root cause of why you don't have peace. Paul says, no, you you can have peace, not just any peace. You can actually have the peace of God. Very different from your peace that you create, you know, making the life you want to live. He says, no when you learn to take all your worry and anxiety and just lay it in your Father's hands, you begin to experience the peace of God, which is a peace that cannot be shaken because there is nothing that can cause God to worry. He goes on. He says, it's a peace of God that transcends all understanding. Now, I try to think about how to explain this, and quite honestly, I don't think there's any way to explain this. You just know this when you see it. But we've all seen it. You know of somebody who's gone through some situations that you looked at them and you thought, oh my goodness, I can't believe you're having to deal with all that. You've got to be worrying so much. you just got to be consumed with anxiety. you got to be so afraid. And yet they didn't seem worried. They didn't have anxiety. They weren't afraid. And at first, as you watch their calm response or their peaceful response in the midst of a tragic or difficult situation, you thought they're just putting their head in the sand. They're just denying reality. They're not taking this seriously enough. But over time, you began to talk to them, and you realize, no, they, they get what's going on. They're, they understand the gravity of the situation, and they're doing everything they can. They're going to the doctor, and they're having the treatments. They're reaching out and having conversations and trying to get help for that relationship. They're, they're taking the steps they need to take to try to, you know, fix the financial issue. Like, you realize they get it, but they were walking through it with this incomprehensible piece Well, that's not peace from them. That's the peace that Paul's talking about. You've seen this before. And you've gone, man, I wish I could have that kind of peace. Well, this is the way you get that kind of peace. And if you dig around and ask a few questions of those people who you've seen this, this is what they'll tell you. They have learned how to take all their worry and anxiety to their heavenly Father and say, okay, I'm worried about this, but you don't worry about anything. It's all under control for you. So here, I'm going to bring this to you with gratitude. I'm still going to do my part, and I still understand the gravity of the situation, but I'm just not going to worry about it because I have a Father in heaven who's going to take care of everything. It didn't matter how big or how small it was. They experienced this because they trusted their Heavenly Father with whatever was going on in their world. And if you learn how to do this, when I learn how to do this, this is the same kind of peace that we experience. As I was thinking about this, I was thinking about it in terms of my kids. Because my kids demonstrate all the time what I think God wants me to do whenever I worry. Whatever may be on my kids' minds that they're worried about, they're five and six. You know what they do? They come straight to me and they say, Dad, here's what we need. And then they don't worry about it anymore. They just walk off like it's my problem. And it is suddenly my problem in my hands. And it doesn't matter how big or small it is. I'm telling you, in one second, they may be worried about getting a 50-cent ice cream cone, and they're asking for that. And in the very next breath, they're asking for a $5,000 trip to Disney. They could care less what the spectrum is. It's just whatever's on their mind they're worried about. Hey, Dad, can we? Hey, Dad, could you? Hey, Dad, hey, Dad, hey, Dad. And then they just go on, and they really don't worry anymore i say, yeah, I'll take care of it. And they don't worry anymore. And I think that's exactly how God intends for it to work with us. When you reach the point where you believe that your Heavenly Father really does love you that much and care about you that much, then you can be like any son or daughter with their dad. You just bring whatever you want to them. Give it to them. With gratitude. That's the part I'm still trying to teach my kids. With gratitude. And you can just move forward doesn't mean you ignore the situation, but it means you have peace about it. Paul said, when you do that, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's just his way of saying it's going to guard you from being consumed by worry. It's going to guard you from being consumed by fear and anxiety and dread. So, if you were talking to Paul and you said, hey, I'm worried about, I'm concerned about, I'm afraid that. Here's what Paul would basically say to you and to me. He would say, you just pray until the peace comes. What do I do, Paul? You just pray until the peace comes. This is important. Paul wouldn't say, you pray until you get what you want, and now you're at peace. That's not the kind of peace he's talking about. This isn't about getting what you want. This is praying about until you get who you need. You don't pray until you get what you want. If you get it, that's great. But that's conditional. You may get it, you may not. Paul says, that doesn't matter. I'm sitting in a a Roman house under house arrest, and I know I'm about to die. I'm not going to get what I want here. But I'm still at peace. Why? Because this isn't about getting what I want. It's getting who I need. And the reason that I'm bringing all of this to God is because I need Him way more than I need for the outcome that I want. Way more than I need that answered prayer I'm trying to find. Way more than I need this problem to get fixed. And when I bring my request to God, when I turn to Him, when I let trigger and anx- uh, uh, anxiety and worry, excuse me, be a trigger, to turn to Him instead of away from Him, something extraordinary happens. He becomes more personal to me. And I'm reminded and I experience how much he loves me and he cares about me. And I experience peace in the middle of some very unpeaceful situations. So here's my question for you. What would happen if every time you worried, you prayed with gratitude? You think you can make that a habit? We're not trying to eliminate worry, okay? You're going to worry. But every time you worry, what if it became a trigger to pray with gratitude? I'm going to talk to God about all the stuff I'm worried about, but I'm going to sandwich it with everything I'm thankful for. What do you think would happen in your life if that happened? I'm going to make some guesses, I'm going to guess you would be happier because you would have more peace. I'm going to guess you would be way more grateful. I'm going to guess that your relationships would get better because worry wouldn't start sabotaging them. I'm going to guess that your faith would get stronger, that God would become more personal to you because you were looking to him and pursuing him. And like any kid with their dad, leaning into him to get his help. And it would draw the two of you closer. And I'm going to suggest that there would be some people around you who would take notice because they would see a piece that was simply not explainable as you went through some of the things that you went through in life. Now here's the hang-up of all this. I mean, it's great to talk about all this, but in the end, and maybe this is what you're thinking, in the end, we all hear something like this, and at our root, it's so hard to do because... we don't really know for sure we can trust God. That's really at the heart of it. We don't like to say that out loud, but that's really why it's so hard for us to do what Paul said. Because we look at our circumstances, and we look at what's going on in our world, and we look at this happening and that happening, and it doesn't make any sense to us. And oftentimes, our circumstances send the message to us, well, God must not care. If he cared, why would he let that happen? If he cared, why wouldn't he change that? If he cared, why wouldn't he fix that? But do you remember when you were a kid? Wasn't that true with your dad sometimes? If you had a good dad, wasn't that still true sometimes? Wasn't it true that there were times where your dad did things or did not do things and you thought, well, why isn't he fixing this? But you didn't doubt his love. And part of the reason you didn't doubt his love is because he had a track record of love. Well, your heavenly father has the same thing. Your circumstances in no way determine how God feels about you. See, the cross already settled that. 2,000 years ago, God said, I'm going to prove for you how I feel about you, and he sent his son to die on a cross so you could be a son or a daughter of his, so you could be a part of his family. So it doesn't matter what's going on in your world, all the things you're worried about and anxious about, and you feel like, well, God must not be here for me. No, no, no. Those circumstances have nothing to do with whether you can trust God or not. That was already taken care of 2,000 years ago. And so... Those parents that created so much worry and anxiety in you. That dad who was absent. So it's so hard for you to relate to your heavenly father and trust him because you never were in a relationship with a dad you could trust. The financial situation that's just got you reeling. The family dynamics and drama and all the tension that's going on right now and the kids and what's happening with the parents and you know all this. All that different stuff, your boss, your health... None of those circumstances mean God's not for you. None of those circumstances mean God doesn't love you. It simply means you're living in the same broken world I'm living in. And you had a dad, you had a boss, you had a son, you had a mom, you had a brother or sister, you had some people in your life who just didn't live the way God designed for them to live. They didn't do what God designed for them to do. They weren't the people God designed them to be. And while they may have failed you, God didn't. He still loves you. He's still there. And as any good father, he's saying, hey, hey, you're worried and anxious about all that. Just bring it to me. You're worried and anxious about all that. Just come on, come on. Leave that with me. You can trust me. You can trust me. All the circumstances may not change. I may not fix everything because sometimes you know what dads do. Sometimes dads don't fix things because their kids need to learn a valuable lesson that will pay off for them later in life. So sometimes kids or dads let kids struggle through some stuff, don't they? Because it's what's best for their character in the long run. Your Heavenly Father may not just smooth the road and let you have whatever you want. He says, that's okay. You can still trust me. I still love you. Just bring it all to me. And what I'll give you is way more valuable than an answered prayer. What I'll give you is peace. What I'll give you is a relationship with me that is personal. That's what he wants most. So, you can keep worrying if you want to worry. It's not going to do much good. Or, Paul says, you can just pray with gratitude until the peace comes. Not the peace that you get what you want the peace that you find who you need. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for loving us the way you do. Thanks for, in spite of our little faith and our lack of focus and our worry and our anxiety and our stress and our doubts, um, how you feel about us never changes. Thanks for being a perfect Heavenly Father, who loves us so much, you invite us to come to you with whatever we've got going on in our world. So big or small, whatever the the thing is that we would each put in our blank, well, I'm worried that. Would you just remind us this week to let worry and anxiety be a trigger to run to you and not away from you. To be a trigger to present to you whatever it is that's on our minds, whatever it is we're worried about, but to do it, with gratitude, to do it with the kind of gratitude that shifts our focus from what's wrong to what's right and the kind of gratitude that deepens our faith and our trust in you and reminds us of just how good you really have been to us. Most of all, thank you so much for proving to us once and for all how you felt about us when you sent Jesus to give his life for us. And would you help us not to lose sight of that and to just keep pursuing you in the middle of whatever may be going on in our world. Because you are where we find peace. It's in your name we pray. Amen.